This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast, produced by the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. For more information about Comparative Media Studies or on the Colloquium series, visit us online at cms.mit.edu. Jenkins, of course. Um, well, most of you, we had a few guests here today. And uh, this is our first colloquium event of the year. Uh, those of you who came in a little, or if you didn't pick up the schedule for the term, uh, Jeffrey Long has done a fabulous job of coming up with a new way of presenting information about the colloquium schedule this term. And uh, we finally got all the pieces together. We can share that with you. Um, uh, for those of you who are, who are not part of CMS, we have a reception following this uh, at my place, and you should just grab one of the CMSers uh, and tag along. I guess your grad students haven't found their way for the most part yet either, but uh, we'll all get you there. And uh, we'd love to have you hang out and have some food and join us for some fellowship uh, afterwards. Um, did, Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Andrew Slack, uh, the founder of the Harry Potter Alliance. Uh, I first heard of this group in uh, middle of the summer as I got called for the comment for a news story that was being written about the Harry Potter Alliance, and it immediately ca captured my interest and imagination because it brings together two things that I care very deeply about. One is fandom, and the other is civic engagement, and the idea of using fandom as a platform for political activism made sense to me. I was intrigued by it. There's certainly a long history of various fan organizations adopting charities, but this takes it into the political sphere much more directly than it's done before. And I was intrigued to learn more about it. And when, especially when I discovered that Andrew was local to us here in Boston, it seemed like a great opportunity to have him come in and give a presentation about the work that they're doing. So I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. Thank you very much, Henry. Uh, so once again, I'm Andrew, and uh, it's a pleasure. It's real, real excited to be here. Uh, and obviously, we're going to be talking about both Harry Potter and civic engagement. Uh, so just by a show of hands, who has read? Uh, we'll just, just sort of everyone gives a different answer to this. So who's who's seen a Harry Potter movie? Okay. Who has uh, read the first Harry Potter book? The second. Just keep your mouth because if we. The third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. Okay. Uh, all right. Who's never read a Harry Potter book? Okay. Or seen a Harry Potter movie? Okay. So there's some people that are totally, you know, basically you've heard about Harry Potter through rumor uh, and, and all that. I. Um, I wasn't. I was. I came late in the game as far as like a hardcore Harry Potter fan into Harry Potter. I, I didn't get into it until I graduated from uh, from Brandeis University in 2002, and I was really missing the university environment. And uh, have always been a, a very passionate about the power of uh, mythology, uh, the power of stories, um, both for the, the the purpose of the story in and of itself, but also um, the power that it has to change. Uh, your, your own self, uh, very much grounded in the ideas of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and, and all, of, all of that archetypal stuff. Uh, but not just the power to change oneself, 
through you know getting to a place of self-actualization, individuation, enlightenment, and all that stuff, but also going to a place where these stories oftentimes have uh, a sort of elixir in them that can transform the world. And there are um, a lot of people who have talked about the reason that Harry Potter is popular. Has anyone not heard of Harry Potter? Uh, <laughs> Uh, the reason why these stories are so popular is because, in essence, they are, they are filling a sort of uh, void in our culture, a sort of uh, need for friendship and community, and this very basic and old idea that goes all the way back to the ancient days of the Beatles, and uh, beyond that into even more ancient days, that uh, the power of love is a tremendous power, and uh, not when we're just talking about it in terms of uh, a, a hippie idea, but going very, very deep into some sort of uh, transcendent idea. Uh, and that's all in the books. So, hi. So I was told not to give anything away about the seventh book for those who are still interested in reading it. And I won't. If I do, um, you can do the killing curse on me. Uh, uh, just a little bit of background on myself. Um, I graduated from Brandeis University in 2002 with a degree in sociology and theater and a minor in the humanities. And I uh, was in a comedy group and we traveled the country performing comedy. Uh, it's called the Late Night Players all over uh, the US for several years. I, uh, I just got off tour uh, and I'm not going back on tour. I decided that this has been so captivating that I'm going to keep going with this uh, as, a, as a nonprofit as well as I started my own production company now that makes online videos and um, uh, does a lot for social change organizations and gets hired for those things. So now I'll just get into uh, the Harry Potter Alliance, what we do, but I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of uh, uh, me and my journey getting there, uh, just because I think it's more interesting to tell it in a narrative. Um, so I uh, had never read a Harry Potter book up until the time I graduated college, was looking for a sort of university kind of feeling environment, and uh, I started teaching kids, kids of uh, multiple uh, uh, economic backgrounds, and they were all into Harry Potter. And I, I really thought that Harry Potter must be, you know, a bunch of pop culture nonsense. But finally, on Halloween of 2002, I started reading uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. This is the first PowerPoint presentation I've ever done, by the way. I'm not a, a traditional MIT person, so although I imagine some of you aren't also. Um, uh, I, I opened the first chapter to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and was immediately swept away into this world. I turned to the person sitting next to me who had been encouraging me to read the books. And I just looked at her dumbfounded and said, uh, uh, this book, I think, just changed my life. I mean, I really felt a complete, it was just wonderful. It took me to this childhood place that was magical and, and really just wonderful. And, and, and I know many people have had a similar experience reading a book uh, or getting into a movie, going into a world uh, that's a little different than ours, but that reflects ours and, and can really just transform the way we look at things. And it did that for me. Now, I was reading these books nonstop, going through them. I had a, a girlfriend at the time who I would always be chewing her ear off. Not, I'd be excited when she would go fall asleep so that I could read more of the books. Uh, I'm a bit of a slow reader, so it did take me a while. I got mono uh, eventually, um, unrelated to the girlfriend, and I, I, and, I, and, and I wasn't kissing anybody else, so this must have been a water fountain thing. Uh, and uh, I uh, was finishing at my mom's place, actually, uh, the last book that had been published at that point, and it had come out, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Now, up until that point, for me, the Harry Potter books were this 
amazing adventure that took me to this wonderful place that gave me this university experience, this university environment, and also was giving me so much psychologically. Uh, uh, can somebody here tell me t uh, what a Dementor is? Anyone know what a Dementor is? Uh, yes. Yeah, the, the ones that are keeping the Askeman safe, like safe in their perspective. I mean, like so that the, the people wouldn't get out of those out, out of Azkaban. Exactly, exactly. And the Azkaban is also a prison. I, yeah, Azkaban is the prison in the Wizarding World. That uh, I'm not going to give the whole details of the whole Harry Potter story. I'm going to skip that so we can cut into the politics and all that in just a second. But uh, one of the things I was very much struck by in the early books was the concept of the Dementor. Uh, they guard the prisons. Uh, the prison, uh, Azkaban, and their, um, their style of guarding is that they, um, they're creatures and they, they go for what is happy in you and what feels good and they suck it away. And all you're left with is your greatest fears and your most traumatic memories. And from that fear that you're, that you're now, that's all that's left in you, they're feeding off of that. They're becoming very excited on it. I mean, this is the most, this is a purely sadistic creature that lives in a sort of vampire-like way, sucking every piece of heart from you and taking you to a place of, of tremendous fear. This is an experience that can be described by many people who have suffered from depression and from anxiety and all of that. And Harry Potter, the books, Harry has to learn how to fight Dementors. And it, it almost comes down to a shamanic ritual uh, where an animal comes out of his um, uh, wand. And uh, there's a lot of um, interesting psychological parallels there. Um, and over and over again, it gets into this idea that love is the strongest reality and can defeat fear, uh, that imagination is more powerful than fear, because it's through the imagination that Harry produces this animal figure, etc. But then we get to this fourth novel. In the fourth novel, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire opens us up to an international community in the wizarding world that Harry is a part of. And what we find out is um, uh, that the, the wizarding world is not, uh, is not terribly different than ours. It's narrow-minded, it's closed-minded, and we watch the, uh, the, the villain, the shadows figure, uh, the, uh, a sort of, with a sort of fascist Hitler-esque bet to him, uh, Lord Voldemort return. For those who haven't read Harry Potter but have seen Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings, it's the equivalent of Sauron getting his body back. He returns, Harry witnesses it, it's incredibly traumatic. Uh, he wants someone to uh, do something about it. He goes to his mentor, Dumbledore. Dumbledore is the example of everything that is, um, you know, uh, basically what we, we want to strive to be. I had a blog for a while called whatwouldDumbledoreDo.com. And uh, it, 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 uh, it was doing considerably well, and I was talking a lot about what my ideas with Harry Potter were and how Dumbledore presents a new way of doing things. Now, what's that, that new way of doing things is, is um, the end of this book, Goblet of Fire, Voldemort Returns. Dumbledore immediately wants to take action. He talks to the Ministry of Magic that they need to do something about this immediately. Uh, and what he plans on doing uh, in the aftermath of Voldemort's return is, is quite radical. Uh, he wants to get rid of the Dementors from Azkaban because they're natural allies to Voldemort. Essentially, he wants to end prison torture because a society that's fighting for freedom would not be using the tactics of those who are against freedom. Uh, he wants to reach out to the giants, a group of uh, creatures who have a very dysfunctional relationship with the wizarding worlds and are in an incredibly dysfunctional state themselves. The minister is appalled by both these uh, proposals. Uh, what free of the mentors? Well, we all feel safe with, uh, with with all these horrible people, you know, being tortured by the dementors and and go and go to the giants. That's an absurd idea. 
And Dumbledore says, no, if we don't go to the Giants first, Voldemort will go to them. And he does, eventually, because the minister uh, refuses to go to the Giants. Uh, thirdly, Dumbledore says it's time that the wizarding world starts being inclusive towards everyone, towards people who, uh, in, in the wizarding world, uh, uh, very much similar to our world, there's, there's racism. And if you are not a pure-blood wizard, if both your parents aren't uh, a wizard and a witch, then you are discriminated against. And uh, Dumbledore says those days have to be over, essentially. And Fudge, uh, aptly named Fudge, uh, the, uh, the, the minister looks at him bewildered and shocked and ridiculous and says, you know, Dumbledore, you know, he basically calls him, you know, a, a very little bit of a liberal. He doesn't use the word liberal, but, you know, you've, you've, you've run this school too liberally. I've, I've allowed you to let a half-giant work at this school. I've allowed you to uh, uh, have a, a werewolf work at this school. All these things that we kind of look down upon. Uh, I, you, you know, we're, we're not going to change our entire structure of the ministry based on these proposals that you have. Now, uh, Dumbledore, I think, had always felt that the way the ministry ran things, is, the business as usual, was pretty terrible and, uh, and pretty corrupt. But the, in the aftermath of Voldemort's return, it was an opportunity to do something about it and to change how things were done. Uh, in our world, we can look at uh, September 11th as a similar opportunity that we, we, we had the opportunity to do something uh, different and, and to really step up to the plate and, and uh, further increase uh, diplomatic relations, uh, end corruptions in prisons, and, uh, and increase uh, equality through the board, uh, uh, down the board, and um, uh, excuse me, down the line, and uh, work to end poverty. Instead, uh, you know, poverty has, uh, you know, despite a few studies, has increased. Uh, prison torture and corruption in prison has increased, and diplomatic ties uh, have become more strained than they've been in uh, God knows how long. Uh, from the U.S. perspective, uh, unfo uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, we, we needed a Dumbledore on September 12th, and unfortunately, uh, our leadership, uh, our ministry, uh, did not did not even come close. Uh, the closest thing they came to was acting like a Cornelius Fudge. Now, did J.K. Rowling uh, write this to do a, a sort of allegory for uh, for the United States? I, I don't think so by a long shot. I think that she was. Uh, that, we, that the United States is only fitting an, uh, an archetype that she knows very well and, uh, and had been uh, writing about. But here we have Dumbledore showing a new way of doing things, proposing a new way of doing things that the wizarding world is rejecting and one that our own world, uh, in the real world, is rejecting. And, and I'm reading this and I'm just fueled with all this fervor. I was like throwing the book on the ground saying, you know, we've got all these Harry Potter fans out there. We, we're getting this message. We see that Fudge is wrong. We can do something about it. We can listen to Dumbledore and you know, all that stuff. And, but I, I, I didn't know how to start doing that. You know, I'd always been a social activist, but, but how, how do you become a Harry Potter social activist? It sounds like a really freakish, mutated, uh, perverse thing to be. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but I, I wanted to do that. And then the fifth book, um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, um, gave me a language to talk in. Um, not only does Fudge uh, deny all of Dumbledore's requests to do things differently, he also denies that Voldemort has come back at all. Uh, and uh, Fudge and Dumbledore reach a parting of the ways, as Dumbledore refers to it, and suddenly the ministry is clamping down on everything Dumbledore does. There's a reading of mail to any student that's sympathetic to Dumbledore and the idea that Voldemort is back. 
being a male, of course, uh, we could talk to uh, AT&T about that and the, uh, the NSA about that. It's not, a, it's not too far off from, from our world once again. Um, there's a teacher that comes in from the school and begins monitoring everything the students do and uh, torturing Harry. Uh, the parallels there are, are interesting, but we won't go into all of them. But uh, basically, Harry uh, wants to wake the world up to the fact that Voldemort is back and has no way of doing it because he can't speak. Because every time he says that Voldemort is back, he has to, uh, he gets tortured, essentially. He goes into a class and is tortured in a, in a magical way. It's, it's not an acute magical way. It's, it's pretty terrible. Um, so he starts an underground group called Dumbledore's Army. Uh, ironically named because the ministry is afraid that Dumbledore is going to use the students to declare like a rebellion against him. Uh, so they actually name it Dumbledore's Army, making it a sort of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, to um, step away from Harry Potter and into our world, uh, I was writing uh, What Would Dumbledore Do all the time. Uh, and, but before we go any further, the Harry Potter Alliance focuses on many issues. Uh, the one we focused on more than anyone else is the genocide in Darfur, the ongoing genocide in Darfur. That's the one that I'm going to be focusing on today. Uh, we have done a bunch of other issues as well, um, but I'm most excited to talk about this one because it's the one we've gotten the farthest with. Um, while I was writing for whatwouldumbledoredo.com, I'd seen Hotel Rwanda. Now I've known about the, uh, the genocide that had happened in Rwanda in 1994, but it really brought a lot of things home for me. Has anyone seen the, the, the Hotel Rwanda? I, I encourage everyone to see it if they can. Uh, and it's, it's a shocking thing to realize that in 1994, when I was going to uh, Holocaust assemblies, where we were saying never again, and I was going to Hebrew school uh, saying never again, never again, that that, that that was nothing. and meant nothing because it was happening again, that a genocide happened. Uh, right under the watch of, uh, of the UN, uh, an international body that was created in the wake of, of the Holocaust to make sure that genocide never happens again. And it did happen again. And it happened very fast, very quickly. Uh, I mean, over a million people slaughtered with, within a period of a few months. Um, and uh, Hotel Rwanda got me so fired up and upset. And I started looking at you know, what situations are like that in the world today that are, the, the, you know, are there any more of that? Is there any more of that? Because now we have a movie. We had Schindler's List and said, oh, how could the world have let that happen for so long? And there are other, other examples of genocides that have happened. How do we let those things happen for so long? And then I'm looking at Hotel Rwanda. Okay, the movie came out. Is there something else that's happening right now in the present day? And I heard about the genocide in Darfur, but like most people, was too scared to read about it. Um, that summer, I had uh, seen Hotel Rwanda in April. Uh, in June 2005, CNN, Fox News, and NBC, MSNBC, ABC, and CBS ran 50 times as many stories about Michael Jackson and 12 times as many stories about Tom Cruise as they did about the genocide in Darfur. The genocide in Darfur has, uh, has uh, been responsible for killing uh, approximately 400,000 unarmed civilians and displacing uh, 1.5 million uh, people in the desert, uh, most, many of which have just watched their loved ones uh, brutally murdered. Um, uh, the 1.5 million aren't, had, uh, are, are obviously suffering from some, from some sort of post-traumatic stress, having just watched their loved ones murdered. Uh, a large uh, a number of those of that 1.5 million had been part of systematic rapes. Uh, many of them, uh, the majority of which I'm, I believe are women. Um, the men are normally killed systematically, and the women are normally raped systematically. Now, after to go back to Hotel Rwanda, after the Rwandan genocide, uh, there was a congressperson I forget the name of which, but who said, you know, the Rwandan genocide essentially would not have happened had our, we been hearing from our constituents about it. And the reason that they weren't hearing from their constituents about it is because of things like this. 
is because the power of the media, and the media wasn't necessarily aware of its own power or willing to step up to the plate and do anything about it. So the media wasn't doing anything about it. Uh, in fact, so grotesquely that CBS Evening News did not report on Darfur the entire summer of 2005. Now, it's important, and I, I think that Michael Jackson is very important. I'm a big fan of the song I'm Bad and uh, Thriller, and I like Tom Cruise's movies. Um, as, as important as, as, as they are as individuals, uh, the, they cannot be 12 times more important uh, as individuals than the lives of uh, 400,000 people or breaking a precedent of uh, never again. I don't need to stand here and say why it's so important to report on Darfur, um, but obviously it is. Um, there's a, something called the Be a Witness campaign, which is asking for more media around Darfur to create that. Uh, this quote right here, whether it was coverage of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s, the Ethiopian famine in the 1980s, or recent coverage of the tsunami, television news can help stop grave injustices and end human suffering. Increased television coverage of the genocide in Darfur has the power to spur the action required to stop a devastating crime against humanity. So if we can get the media to do something about this, then we'll have constituents that care, that are contacting their congresspeople, and then we'll have more action on Darfur. Um, to bring things back to Harry Potter, during that fifth book, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, not only was the ministry ignoring uh, Voldemort's return, but the, 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 the media uh, was also doing it, and doing everything it could to pretend like it wasn't happening, that Voldemort was not growing stronger every day. What they wanted to believe, because it was easier to believe, was that uh, Voldemort was gone, uh, and that Harry was just trying to get attention. But Harry starts this group, Dumbledore's Army, which basically the idea was we have to protect ourselves against, uh, against Voldemort. Uh, but in the end, what they end up doing is waking the world up. At the end of the fifth book, they wake up the ministry and they wake up uh, the media to the fact that Voldemort uh, is back. Now, there's a quote in a recent Harry Potter movie, it's not in the book, where Harry says, every great wizard in history has started out as nothing more than we are now. He's saying this to the students. If they can do it, why not us? Uh, and so now I had a language, a framework to work in, Dumbledore's Army. Could we take all of these Harry Potter fans that were out there and create a real Dumbledore's Army? And this was the beginning, this was the birth of the, the Harry Potter Alliance. Do I have any questions so far? No? No? Okay, cool. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I was going around looking at you know, what, what existed on the web as far as uh, Harry Potter fandom. Um, goes. And I, I wasn't really, as much as I was a Harry Potter fan, uh, there's a lot of people like me at the time, loved the books and you know, liked the movies, but I wasn't um, you know, engrossed in the, the internet fandom culture uh, at that point. I was writing What Would Dumbledore Do? But I wanted to know uh, who else was writing. And I had no idea these other sites. What I came to find was it went above and beyond my expectations. The fandom was enormous. Uh, the most enormous the two of the most enormous fan sites were a site called MuggleNet, and second to that, a site called The Leaky Cauldron. MuggleNet, uh, the statistics on, uh, this is a, these are, statistic, these are uh, stats from, a, um, from an off-season, these metrics. Uh, off-season meaning no Harry Potter book coming out and no Harry Potter movie coming out. They get um, uh, average daily unique visitors, 170,000. That's every day, 170,000 people. Actually, I think that's been updated. I, the last time I had, I had seen it was 107,000. I think that was an off-season. I think they've, they, this, this uh, but anyway, the point is, somewhere between 100 and 170,000 people look at Mugglement every single day. So I'm furious about this, uh, th this genocide in Darfur, and the media isn't covering it. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the new media. I'm thinking, if we can make a tie 
between creating a real Dumbledore's army that's waking the world up about the genocide in Darfur and doing something about it, the way Harry and the young people in Dumbledore's army did something about waking the world up to Voldemort's return. And we got it on MuggleNet. We have over a million people see it. And then we could basically say to CBS Evening News, hey, if you don't want to cover it, we're going to cover it. And it's going to shame you to the end of you know, whatever until you start covering it more. Because it's a great discrepancy when you're covering Michael Jackson and Tom Cruise and we silly little Harry Potter fans on average 16 years old are talking about the genocide in Darfur and yet you guys you know, you know, can't. So uh, uh, it, it could do a lot. So I, um, I, this is uh, Don Cheadle uh, over here starting. Um, can, can you guys see this by the way, even though it's, the light's on? Are you better than that was off? Let me, let me turn it off. So Don Cheadle and John Prendergast. Um, John, Don Cheadle uh, starred in uh, Hotel Rwanda, and John Prendergast uh, is sort of like, an, like uh, he, he runs um, the Enough Project. At the time, he was a senior advisor to the International Crisis Group and uh, used to work for the, the Clinton administration on different um, African issues. And uh, uh, they, they became good friends around the time that Don Cheadle had uh, made uh, Hotel Rwanda. Uh, John being a, uh, an international activist and uh, Don Cheadle being um, you know, a star, an actor who, uh, who had just taken part in a very moving movie about a true story that dealt with the Rwandan genocide. And uh, they formed a bond because uh, Don Cheadle didn't want to just stop there. And uh, they decided to begin working together. Now I met John Prendergast at Harvard. Uh, I talked, this is all 2005. I had, uh, I had uh, seen Hotel Rwanda April 2005. Those stats about the news coverage that was happening in the media was 2005, the summer. And then, uh, and then in December, I, I was at a, 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 a stand conference, and, which is a student organization fighting the genocide in Darfur uh, that, was, uh, that featured John Prendergast as, uh, as one of its main speakers. And one of the things that uh, Mr. Prendergast said uh, at the... Um, uh, conference was, at this point, I am willing to do anything, any outside-of-the-box idea you have to get Darfur into the media, let me know about it. And I ran up to him afterwards and I said, uh, uh, John, uh, um, my name is Andrew Slack, and I think I've got the most outside-of-the-box idea you've ever heard. But I, you know, uh, it, it's pretty, it's going to sound pretty weird, but he, he started laughing and he loved it right away. He said, you know, I grew up on comic books, comic book heroes. Uh, if we can get Harry Potter fans to engage in this in, in, in a story that they know and love, I'd love to. So the least that we can do is get this in the book that I'm writing with Don Cheadle. Uh, and uh, that book has since then come out. And so I was really nervous to write him an email. What am I going to say to John Prendergast in the email? Oh, it was nice meeting you, sir. I hope you remember me. Blah, blah, blah. And then he wrote me an email. I was so like, taken aback. He was like saying, I really like your idea. Can I have somebody call you to, uh, to interview you for the book that I'm writing with Cheadle? I'm like, oh, okay. I'll send them on a last name basis with Cheeto, like, okay, Cheeto. Uh, so, <laughs> like, yeah, you and Cheeto can come over to my place anytime and we can, uh, um, So uh, from then, I started working with a local band. Uh, who's heard of them? Okay, so this is a, a band called Harry and the Potters. Uh, I met them uh, once again in 2005. This is a little bit before then. And uh, I was actually leaving the next day for a few weeks, and I, I had heard they had a concert. I ran to their concert, and I, I'm like sweating and out of breath, and, and I come up to them, and I'm like, 
Guys, you guys travel on the road. I travel on the road doing comedy. I'd love to talk to you more. But I want to tell you about this idea I have. I just thought of it a few days before. I said, it's called the Harry Potter Alliance. Uh, the idea is, because I write about this all the time in my blog, but I'm tired of writing this blog. The blog is getting you know, a few hundred hits a, you know, uh, a, a week. But what I want now is to take the energy from these ideas that I'm writing out and mobilize people around it and do something around that. And they were, they were game. They were so set. To give you a sense of Harry and the Potters, they look at Harry Potter as a um, sort of a DIY, do-it-yourself punk kind of kid. Uh, and they, they look at Voldemort as the man. And uh, they sing songs like, Voldemort can't stop the rock. But the whole message, even though they're real cute and funny, is they, they take the books and they give us a chance to re-experience the book, books through music. Anyone who's seen their concerts can attest. I mean, some people are freaked out if they've never read a Harry Potter book. But to watch hundreds, if not thousands, of teenagers that know all the words and are all singing the weapon we have is love, which is their message, one of their songs. I mean, it's like some sort of bizarre thing out of 1968. Um, but it's around Harry Potter, not around the Vietnam War. Um, so enter the Harry Potter lines to sort of bring it, bring it back to, uh, the, to really make it in 1968. Because they, they really wanted to work with me and, um, and, and this budding group and became um, sort of uh, uh, consultants on how it would run. And we, we started plotting and conspiring as to what, what the Harry Potter Alliance would be. At that time, Wizard Rock, this idea that there would be more bands than just Harry Potter. By the way, these, these two guys are brothers. They both pretend to be Harry Potter. They, they sing from Harry's perspective. One is about 27, the other one's about 19. Um, and uh, they had two friends who uh, decided as a prank, who were also brothers, to, uh, to make a band called Draco and the Malfoys, which uh, there was a prank on Harry and the Potters. They just did a couple songs where they play uh, Harry's peer nemesis, uh, Draco Malfoy, with songs like, my dad is rich and your dad is dead. My dad is rich and your dad is dead. And they're really mean. Their lyrics are really mean. And they, they, you know, they tell people, party like you're evil. And, and kids love it. And, uh, and, and, and Joe and Paul and Harry and the Potters said to, said to these two guys, you know, uh, we thought it was funny that you did. We thought it was also really good. You know, maybe you could do a couple of shows with us. That caught on real fast. And now, so now they're a, a nationally touring band as well. Um, and then from that, other groups came out. A friend of theirs who, who's called the Whomping Willows. And he sings from the perspective of the Whomping Willow, which is a tree at Hogwarts. He sings from the perspective of a lonely tree. So his songs are angst-driven. And uh, he actually has a ridiculous one that I, I love where he's singing about um, his assumption, his, his assumption that Draco and Harry are in love with each other and should move to Massachusetts and get married. So it sort of goes into sort of bizarre, fantastical things, not just sticking to the book all the time. And then uh, this guy's sort of the sex symbol of the Wizard Rock world, if you can do um, uh, Alex Carpenter, which is the Remus Lupins. Now, there are a number of bands. There's about 200 Wizard Rock bands now all over the world. There's a, a website called Wizard Rockopedia, which keeps track of them all and does updates on them all. And uh, at first, the, uh, the, fan, the major fan sites, the Wiki Mugglement, we're keeping two greater tabs on this, but as it became bigger and bigger, they formed these major alliances with these bands. And the good thing about that, from the Harry Potter Alliance perspective, is as these guys and girls, because there are girl bands as well, were down with everything the HP Alliance was trying to do. They were trying to bring music to Harry Potter. We were trying to bring activism to Harry Potter. We were trying to figure out how to exactly do that. By the way, this is just a member who sent something. This is you know, the T-shirt that I'm wearing. That's a little bit later in the game. 
but uh, essentially we started writing about all sorts of things. Uh, 2006, I saw an inconvenient truth. I was so motivated. I compared uh, uh, the, the, the world's uh, ignoring of and denying of global warming to being equivalent to denying Voldemort's return. And I sent it to uh, Harry and the Potters. They put it, we had a little MySpace, the, the Harry Potter Alliance. We had a few hundred people in the MySpace. I was very proud of those few hundred. But I sent this bulletin, sent it to Harry and the Potters. They posted it on their MySpace. And uh, within, a, um, within a day, we had, uh, I think, over a thousand friend requests on our MySpace saying, we want to be part of this alliance. We want to fight the dark arts in the real world. Lumos peace, Lumos justice, which means you know, shed light on Lumos. And you know, just this growing enthusiasm, like I'd never seen um, people writing from France, Italy, Australia, all over the world, people all over the US, pouring in their support saying, we've always wanted to be part of something like this, something real, something where it's, you know, we like doing the Harry Potter role play where we pretend to be different characters. We want to now take that sort of role play and, and pull it into the world and really, you know, be part of the Red Bumbleto's army. So they, this message that I was believing in, they were looking for as well. And so suddenly we were becoming a formidable force where I would send out action alerts and the other bands would then send it out uh, on the MySpace around different social justice issues. I would write something um, where I would take all sorts of textual evidence from the books because um, I had read them so many times and knew them at the back of my hand and, um, and talked about an issue happening in Harry Potter, compared it to an issue in the real world, and then talked about how we can be like Harry or like Dumbledore, like Hermione, and do something about that issue, and then pointing to very concrete things that people could do. Standing on to certain websites, different organizations that already existed, etc. And then it's interesting because when we're on MySpace and we send out a bulletin, you can view what all of the people's, uh, all of your friends are saying on their bulletins. And, and it's come to a point now where I put something out, you know, within a few minutes I look and, and my bulletins, the HP Alliance bulletins are getting reposted again and again. And then I send it to Harry and the Potters and I send it to Draco and the Malfoys and they all repost it. And by the end it gets to about 100,000 MySpaces. Um, now my, our MySpace is now at almost 11,000 uh, uh, members. Um, Harry and the Potters are a little over 90,000. And there's some overlap, obviously. But, but by the end, I think it gets to, to over 100,000 uh, MySpaces. That's probably a conservative guess. Um, well, then um, I, I got hired. Uh, my comedy group got hired to make a video against Walmart. Um, and uh, uh, you know, about Walmart's business practices, et cetera. And I'm sure you've heard some of the arguments as to what's wrong with Walmart. And this wasn't as important to me as, as say, the genocide in Darfur, but it's still very important. And about holding one of the biggest corporations in the world accountable for not giving its employees health insurance and for a number of other things they do that are wrong. So I came up with this character, because I was already part of this Harry, Harry Potter alliance, called uh, Lord Waldemort, instead of Lord Voldemort. And uh, we created Harry Potter and the Dark Lord Waldemort. I got the advice from the bands on how to help best to, uh, to make the video happen. And uh, it was really, really exciting. And uh, it, it received a great, great attention. By the, at the end of the presentation, I'll play you uh, part of, uh, of both videos. Um, we then later sent, made a second video right before the, uh, the release of the seventh book. Um, the dog is, uh, is Harry's godfather, who, who can turn into a dog, uh, Sirius Black. Uh, and it's a Harry Potter spoof where Harry has to fight Lord Voldemort, but we cover all the talking points. Um, we use this parody, and uh, now the two videos together have received approximately one million views um, on, on YouTube. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, you can check it out. It's, uh, it's also on the web at worldsmartwatch.com. We created a microsite. And, and believe it or not, we got paid to do this. And it was so much fun. So that was really exciting. And that led, it was part of the thing that led me to um, start a production company now that makes uh, videos, non-Harry Potter videos, believe it or not. Um, then something very big happened for the Harry Potter Alliance and all of Harry Potter fandom. You know, we were coming out with the Waldemar video, which was a lot of fun and getting people taking action against Waldemar. We were working on global warming, on gay rights, on a number of different issues. Um, but then we found out that the last Harry Potter book ever was going to come out. This was a huge moment, and we wanted to do it right. We wanted to give Harry a proper send-off, because we know at the end of the sixth book that Harry has a very big job on his hands. I won't give away what that job is, but it's huge, and we wanted to be part of that with him and be in solidarity with him. And we were pretty sure that we wanted to focus on one issue. We thought maybe we could build an infrastructure that could focus on multiple issues. But essentially, we thought, OK, one issue would be the way to go. Um, and uh, the issue we chose was Darfur. And coincidentally, around the time, uh, just a couple months before uh, the last book came out, Not in Our Watch came out by John Prendergast and Don Cheadle. Uh, the book finally came out and it devoted a whole page to us. It was kind of crazy, because it was like Barack Obama and uh, Senator Sam Brownback wrote the introduction, and Ali Wiesel wrote the foreword, and it's Don Cheadle and John Prendergast, and I'm like looking at this like, ooh, you can get this at any bookstore, this is crazy, and it's got like a whole page devoted to the Harry Potter Alliance, and, and uh, it, 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 I like how it opens up. Online organizing has been key in bringing people together, as well as spreading the message to a diverse audience. Perhaps the most unusual group to emerge has been the Harry Potter Alliance. And then it goes on to describe what the Harry Potter Alliance is and what we're doing. Um, and uh, I started speaking to a lot of Wizard Rock concerts, and, and, and that was, getting, that was uh, becoming very exciting. So we decided, I decided that if we're going to really do something around Darfur, and really hunker down and focus on the one, this one issue of waking the world up to the genocide in Darfur and doing something about it, we better talk directly to the organizations that are doing a lot around Darfur. So I met uh, personally with uh, the Genocide Intervention Network um, and STAND uh, in Washington, D.C. And STAND is the student arm of the Genocide Intervention Network. I talked to the Boston-based organization Fidelity out of Sudan, which just created Investors Against Genocide. And we came up with a lot of ideas. Um, uh, and the more I was talking to them about tangible things that people could do to take action on Darfur, there are really little things, like calling 1-800-GENOCIDE, being connected to your representative, your senator, your governor, urging them to take specific legislative action, um, talking to Fidelity Bank, putting pressure on Fidelity Bank to stop investing in something that's going to a genocide, uh, that, that's huge. Um, uh, ability to end this genocide. And it's not going to happen tomorrow, but it could happen. Uh, the government of Sudan in the last 10 years has responded twice positively to economic pressure. Um, two times they've responded to economic pressure. They've stopped human rights violations. We could do it again. It would be incredible. The problem is, is um, that while the U.S. has sanctions against Sudan, uh, the Chinese government does not. And a ton of U.S. businesses are, and, and state pension funds and universities are investing um, money into those Chinese oil companies. So if we can stop investing in those Chinese oil companies, those Chinese oil companies are essentially going to be pissed, for lack of a better word, and they're going to talk to the government of Sudan saying, look, this is bad for our business, this genocide you're carrying out. We can't keep doing it like this. And uh, that could be the thing to pull the plug um, on the genocide. It sounds oversimplistic, but uh, there's, there's a lot that can be done there. So. Um, one of the things we decided to do in focusing before the book came out 
was to uh, start uh, house parties all over the world where people, where people could celebrate Harry Potter, watch Harry, Harry Potter movies, uh, and take specific actions. And we created a whole web page and a PDF around what specific actions they could do. Small things that they could do to make a big, to make a big difference, and big things they could do to make a big difference. Um, the podcast that we created, um, uh, I became good friends with the head of the Leaky Cauldron, which is the second biggest fan base, fan site uh, in the world, uh, and she, uh, Melissa, uh, decided that this was such an important issue to her that we could uh, make the podcast with her, or make a podcast about Harry Potter and Darfur, we could have their editors edit it, and we could run it on their feed, which gets about 40,000 listeners. So right away, we were guaranteed 40,000 listeners. John Prendergast, who wrote the, the book Not on Our Watch, he agreed to, uh, to be part of the, uh, the podcast. Ambassador Joe Wilson, any, anyone not know who Joe Wilson is? Uh, he's the, uh, the, the, the husband of Valerie Plain you know, with the whole Libby Scooter scandal, et cetera. He's really, the reason why he's so important in world affairs is not that, but because he's an expert in African affairs. He agreed to be part of the podcast. Uh, Dot Maver, who's the executive director of the Peace Alliance, agreed to be part of the podcast. And they're also on the podcast where a number of wizard rock bands, Harry the Potters, Draco and the Malfoys, the Morning Myrtles, the Remus Lupins, and more. The Morning Myrtles are really cool. They're, they're a female band. Uh, uh, they, they sing a song called Prefects or Hot. It's very, very funny. Um, Jennifer Vinnie, who's the senior writer for MTV News, agreed to be part of it. Melissa Nelly, we already had on board. And Matthew Vines, this sort of shocked me. He runs a, a fan site called Verisaterum, and he's 17 years old and found out that Kansas's pension fund was investing um, about $35 million in, out of their $12 billion in these Chinese oil companies. And he, he single-handedly started a campaign to get Kansas to divest from those companies. And within a few months, they won. Uh, they won that campaign. They got $35 million out of those Chinese oil companies. And Kansas is one of the 18 states now that has uh, divested from uh, those Chinese oil companies. So I'm very excited to keep working with Matthew. Um, so all these people agreed to be part of the podcast. The Leaky Cauldron, we finally got on the big websites, the big Harry Potter fan sites, um, put up this uh, uh, thing, this, this screenshot of, uh, about, um, on their front page about the podcast, and then they ran into their podcast. And finally, finally, we got on the, mo the monster, MuggleNet.com. Uh, Melissa from Mickey urged everybody, she, she sort of almost begged every Harry Potter fan site to put something up about this. MuggleNet, um, the head of which is Emerson Sparks, Sparks uh, he's, about ni he's 19 years old. He said he felt bad that he'd never done anything like that before, before. He happily agreed. So going back, we can say to CBS Evening News, who didn't run one story that whole summer, you know, we got on level that new media has this ability to, you know, get the message out and use the fandom to do something about it. And the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, by the end of this, the, uh, the podcast, I was hoping for 40,000 downloads. We've had uh, between 110,000 and 120,000 downloads. And uh, the podcast isn't just us talking about Harry Potter, and therefore, it's also funny, too, at moments. Uh, it also shows concrete things that people can do right then and there to put the podcast on pause. Uh, we have house parties in the following countries, the US, Mexico, Brazil, Venezuela, Australia, the UK, and Canada. We also ask people to light a candle for Harry. And while they're lighting a candle to do a, a meditation on um, uh, this is actually very funny. I um, I just lent this phone from uh, from from Singular, and uh, I never changed the ringer. But the person who had it on before had the song. I was going to change my room, but then I got high, and I just thought it was so ironically funny that I had this ringtone. So now I, I had that. So that's kind of embarrassing to be at MIT while that ringtone goes off. Um, uh, so we we asked people to put a to, to light a candle and to. Um, 
uh, to put out their intention for how they want to put light onto the darkness of the world. And this is just a couple images of people that did that. Um, we got media coverage right before the book came out. Uh, Henry, I think it was Politico that called you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we were on the front cover of Politico, which was an honor. And uh, uh, the Walmart video made the front cover of the Chicago Tribune uh, business section. And we were on the front cover of uh, Boston Phoenix and a bunch of other things as well, as you can see up here. Um, uh, then the second day before the book came out, I, uh, I got to MC Harry, Pot Harry and the Potters concert in New York City, which was so much fun. Uh, and uh, this is um, Hogwarts Square. This was sort of the culminating insane thing that happened in Harvard Square. Uh, there were uh, between 15 and 20,000 people there, and it was an overwhelming uh, experience to be part of. Uh, all of these people, Denzel Washington was shooting in Harvard Square, and they told him he had to stop uh, shooting the movie. Um, because uh, there were too many Harry Potter fans. Uh, and uh, we got the message out there, and the bands were very supportive, and it was just incredibly exciting. Um, the person holding the book is my girlfriend. That's her getting the Harry Potter book, which is funny. I don't know how she got in there. But uh, <laughs> uh, then uh, this summer at Prophecy 2000, which was held in Toronto, that was a Harry Potter con uh, conference that I was at. Um, and I did an 80-minute uh, panel discussion, which went real well. And then uh, Melissa from the Leaky, who joined me in the panel discussion, uh, said that she would like, uh, in 2009, we're now planning to have a, a conference, which is going to be Leaky, Cauldron, and the Harry Potter lines together. Uh, doing a, a, an actual conference. Uh, and I'm very excited about the planning of that. And then um, the, uh, this year, the uh, Wizard Rock Bands, the Wampin' Willows, uh, spearheaded this, put out a, um, a compilation CD of uh, 22 bands, most of them Wizard Rock Bands, uh, to, as a fundraiser for the HP Alliance. It's called Wizard, Wizard and Muggles Rock for Social Justice. And uh, recently I was contacted by this, uh, a lot of different cities have Harry Potter fan groups. By the St. Louis Harry Potter fan group, they wanted to create rock stock instead of Woodstock spooktacular, because it was going to happen near Halloween. Um, and they were going to invite all these bands. And I was like, okay, if you can do it, great. And the idea was to be a fundraiser for the Harry Potter Alliance. And sure enough, it's happening, and they've already raised, after they've, after uh, 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 becoming, you know, get, getting, taking care of their own expenses, uh, they've already raised uh, a conservative estimate is at least $4,000 for the Harry Potter Alliance, and hopefully there'll be more. And that's just coming from the fans alone. Uh, there'll be 13 bands uh, there, and um, it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, I'll be there also, obviously. Um, and so that is uh, basically a summary of what's been going on. There's a lot more that will be happening. I'd like to show you the, um, the Waldemort videos. Is, uh, are people keen to, to see that now? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to stop this one in the middle, because it uh, just for time purposes. This is the one we released last October. Oh, there might be something with the sound. Let me see. Yes, there is.
Brother Diagram, I need to get her back to school for four months. All right, Hermione. But Paulo's there. <laughs> Let's go, Fox. 
Okay, so uh, that was the first video, um, and uh, there's a second that came out, and that, that music at the end was Harry and the Potters, and they came up with some of the ideas for the video, as did Draco and the Malfoys, which was really exciting uh, to be working with them. Uh, and uh, well, if there's time, I'll, I'll show you the second uh, video, but um, in the meantime, I did want to open the floor up to questions that you guys might have. So, Great. We've got a mic to pass around if uh, people will this is for the podcast, not for application. Hey, um, I mean, as you mentioned, um, with the genocide in Darfur, certainly China seems to be controlling all of the chances for progress. And I mean, it's been kind of a stumbling point for activists here, like that the only thing we can do and the only channel we have is divestment. Um, I was wondering, by using popular culture, has there been any ways of getting more direct access into like, people in China or the thinking there? Or is it still just you know, what we can do here to do something there? lifeline following through financial divestment? Uh, I wish I could speak with more authority on this. Um, because if I gave you an answer and told you that I knew everything about it, that would be lying. Uh, but well, I guess I'm just wondering, like, um, have people in China itself been interested in Harry Potter? and? That's chances a, to connect with minds there, or is it being? That's a really great and subversive question. Um, uh, in terms of what we could do subversively from Harry Potter fans in China, because because I look at Harry Potter as this very subversive text that has sort of snuck into the culture, and I've never even thought about Chinese Harry Potter fans uh, to put pressure on their on their country. I, I mean, Chinese American Harry Potter fans, but not but not uh, not in, you know, Chinese citizens. Uh, wow, I I don't know. That's a great question. For, these, for the Chinese American Harry Potter fans, have you heard much from them about? Have they been like talking to relatives there, or is there? I've done nothing in that, that regard. That's an it's a it's a great idea. It's a great way to spread stuff. I mean, the only my only uh, my only question is is how much pull the Chinese citizens actually have around this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I but it's a really good question to start asking. Actually, I think that's I'm I'm definitely going to take this to the activist groups and say, you know, we might have a weird in <laughs> with these right. books being a sort of treasure horse um, and getting people involved. I mean, I know that, that, uh, that, that uh, some, of, some websites are, are banned in China very quickly, um, but it would be interesting to watch how they were banned. And, ooh, that's really good. That's really good. All right. So, uh, <laughs> and of course, I mean, that, that is a, 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 a stumbling point that a lot of activists are having. Yeah, it's totally frustrating that, I mean, between divestment and the Olympics is that the only access anybody in the U.S. has to do anything about Darfur is China has it and maybe popular culture. I mean, there, there, are, there are other things that, 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 that can be done, but that does seem to be a really, really big one that's in the way. But there, there are other things, and there, there are proposals you know, about creating no-fly zones, and there's proposals that are more military in you know, uh, questions without creating an actual you know, invasion uh, situation, uh, not in any way, but some sort of uh, intervention of some kind. Um, there's been discussion around that. It doesn't seem like it would be particularly like, the most violent thing. So there's, there's a number of different roads, and there's also uh, different legislation that has to do with, uh, with, with Sudan that's unrelated to China. But, but it is important to note that there's a lot of control we have at this point uh, as far as putting pressure on U.S. businesses 
and European businesses to stop investing in those companies in China. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you in the, in the frustration, though. question. Uh, I, I have been encouraged not to approach uh, J.K. Rowling at this point. Uh, most of the authors that I love are dead, so I've never really had uh, you know, an author that I love that to this degree who's still alive who could potentially even know who I am and what I'm doing, and now I've been told there's a very good chance that, um, that's okay, no, it's fine, it, it, it'd be an interesting spot in the, the, the video. She's, she's just standing in front of the video camera, it's fine. Um, uh, um, but, uh, I mean, the idea that J.K. Rowling is like sort of this, like, you know, when you're reading an author, you get that swept away by the world she creates. I, I, I don't really want to know her. You know, it's just sort of like, I want her to, I don't want to have no interaction with her. But I want to have this going, I would like to talk to her about it. Because, I, I mean, uh, part of my inspiration was that she did used to work for Amnesty International. I think that she would have a lot of, a lot to say about what we're doing and a lot of guidance that she could give. Um, not to mention uh, name recognition. I, I mean, she happens to be a little famous. Um, but uh, I've been told at this point her hands are very tied up by very powerful lawyers who are sensitive to everything that goes on with the name Harry Potter in it. And so it's better to just let it be. And um, there's been a history of a lot of conflicts that have existed between Warner Brothers and Harry Potter sites. And for the most part right now, they've been really generous, Warner Brothers has. I think it's been more public relations um, because they realize that it's good for them that people are, are, have these websites. But I, I've tried to stay away from engaging it because the fact that we're doing, we're not just doing, we're doing charity, but we're doing politically, political advocate, advocacy. It's not partisan in nature. We try to stay very, very far away from that because we want to become a 501c3 and get the tax-exempt status. Further, we don't want to really alienate our membership. We have a lot of conservatives who are part of the Harry Potter Alliance, at least Republicans, I should say. And while I'd say the, that the core of the group and the, the focus of the group are very liberal values, we're not, we're not supporting any Democratic candidates in 2008. If anything, we're going to put pressure on the candidates to talk about specific issues. But to go back to your question, I've had no interaction with J.K. Rowling, and I've had no interaction with, with Warner Brothers, and I've been told uh, it's best to do that for now. Uh, Melissa Anelli, who I've mentioned, who's the head of Leaky, she's very, she's pretty close with with, uh, with uh, J.K. Rowling. She had the very coveted position of when the sixth Harry Potter book came out, being invited to J.K. Rowling's house with Emerson, who runs MuggleNet, and getting to do an exclusive interview with her. And uh, she wears a ring that J.K. Rowling gave her. Uh, that's a ring of a snake, which I thought was so dark. Anyone who's read Harry Potter to know that J.K. Rowling gave Melissa a ring, uh, which is a horcrux in the book, and, and it being a snake, it's really cool. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, I just have a question about audience because I think that most people consider Harry Potter as like as a way to reach like the tween audience and like kids who are like younger than that. And it seems like most people who are involved with your alliance are of the teen and um, like the twenty-somethings. Sort of, I don't, I don't know. I guess you have older members as well. But have you like have you made a conscious effort to sort of reach younger younger people and, and sort of like already put them into the mindset of being interested in these kinds of um, issues where they otherwise would not have been? So you're saying, is, are we consciously trying to, uh, to reach 
a younger, like a, a an Harry Potter has like a huge young audience. Yes. And like that's like what people are saying is so amazing. You get kids into reading because it's about getting these, these kids who are younger than you would expect into like these crazy books. But I mean, it seems like you could, you'd have that same power in this. Well, well, one thing to say is, is that Harry Potter, there's been eight jillion stories written about how Harry Potter has introduced kids to reading. Now, uh, Harry Potter has introduced kids to writing. Fan fiction uh, is gigantic. Harry Potter has introduced kids to becoming indie bands now. There's 200 of them, and a lot of them are, are teenagers. And now Harry Potter is introducing kids to being activists. And the odd thing is it's not like, it's not like I'm taking this, or Paul from Harry and the Potters are taking this and pushing the ideas on anybody, so much as providing the space to say, look at this book you love. It's just like this. You can do this with it. And people are you know, speaking their own mind and, and doing it. So it's, it's exciting. You know, but our focus is mainly on teenagers and on college students. We, we definitely want older people to be part of it. Um, but but we've, we've mainly been um, functioning from the, from the MySpace. Uh, and, you know, that has its own demographic as well. It's mainly, you know, a specific age group. Um, and we want adults to be part of it, but the main focus is definitely um, uh, serving teenagers. And uh, just to, to point out, we don't just work on political issues, as I've talked about here. We also talk about issues around body image, creative empowerment, you know, becoming more creative in your life, et cetera, getting out of the mother mindset, and that kind of thing. And that's very helpful for teenagers, and we've had a real positive response from those, those, uh, those comments. Does that answer your question for the most part? OK, cool. Other questions? I was wondering, it says the HP Alliance. Have you ever heard of groups who refer to the uh, higher power, HP, or God as HP? And I wonder if that's a conscious double on top. I'm more worried of Hewlett Packard, actually. Oh, right. Right. Did you just say that? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, there, and there actually is a company I saw on the, on the web called the HP Alliance. We were always the Harry Potter Alliance. Until we started getting bigger, I was advised to change it to the HP Alliance when we, when we incorporated as a nonprofit, which we're in the process of doing. For, for just to steer clear of that original question around lawsuits and cease and desist letters and all that sort of wonderful stuff. But uh, I, I think that the higher power loves the HP Alliance. I'm, no, I'm not worrying about that. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't heard any, any controversy. I, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I, <laughs> but I, I haven't heard much controversy around, around uh, from, from that point of view or from Hewlett Packard. So for now, we're in the clear around that, those initials. Other questions? about other uh, fan community activist groups? Are there, is there such a thing? Are you, do you join with them? Uh, do you, are you trying to encourage other fan communities to also develop their activist spaces? Um, there's a, an organization I've been in contact which does um, fill, fill a fanthropy, which is like raising money through fandoms, and we're just beginning to talk in, in Georgia. I'm, again, it's the, 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 they're really cool, they're really awesome. Um, but so far, no. Uh, that, that's a place we really can grow in. Um, I mean, I know there are, there are so many fan cultures. There's so much fandom out there. The odd thing is, is that I, I kind of feel in some weird way like new to being an engaged member. I've always been a fan of things. But to be an engaged fan in this way, I, I, it was never the thing I was in until now. So I'm, I'm kind of learning the ropes when it comes to what are the other fandoms out there and, um, and really seeking the advice of other people. We're coming to a point with the size and scope of the organization where I'm no longer just the the voice of the organization, but we're getting other people to sort of be the voice as well, and find, finding ways to 
that's sort of getting into the question of what's going to happen next, which I could get to if we, if we have time. But I, uh, I did want to get the other questions. So. I, I just wondered, you, you started out talking about how CBS wasn't doing any coverage in the summer of 2005. And um, does the HP Alliance, do you yourself still uh, worry about concerning yourself with the attention by uh, national television media, network television? Is it still a problem? I mean, now it's, it's still an issue. I mean, are, are you, do you, have you shamed the networks into doing any more coverage? Are you still in a process of, of interacting or saying, hey, look at what we're doing, look at, at who we're attracting? Well, there's an organization, the Be a Witness campaign, which specifically focuses on that. Um, uh, we haven't done, we, we've talked about getting people involved in that campaign. We haven't directly talked to CBS and, and those organizations, actually. Uh, I, I, uh, just a quick anecdote, I was trying to get the AP to write a story on us before the, the book came out, and a woman in the Boston AP was just saying, thanks, we're not interested, and she was very rude to me, actually. So I got all like huffy puffy, just real egotistical, like, wait, you don't want to write about Darfur, huh? I didn't, I didn't say that, but I was very close to saying, this is a creative way of writing about Darfur, and you're not, you're choosing not to do that, and that sort of says something to me. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I decided, you know what, that's my own ego. It's just too egotistical of me. I'm not going to do that because I was too personally involved in it. So I took a step away from it. But as far as shaming news organizations, we haven't done enough shaming yet uh, of, of these specific news, news, or news organizations. We've done more um, pressuring um, Congress people uh, to take action around Darfur. There's something called DarfurScores.org, which I urge everyone to look at, and you can put in your zip code. If you're a Massachusetts resident, you'd be very happy to see. They give scores according to legislation of what, um, what different um, Congress people have been given uh, around Darfur legislation, and uh, 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 Massachusetts has very, very high uh, grades. John Kerry and Ted Kennedy have excellent grades. And by the way, the movement is also uh, very bipartisan, uh, the Darfur movement. But, um, uh, but to, to answer your question, I think that the news media has done a better job of covering Darfur uh, in recent years, not by a light year to where it should be. Uh, and also, when it does, and this is, this is a, a gripe that I have also, when it does cover Darfur, and whenever they cover anything that's sad and upsetting, they cover it as sad and upsetting and hopeless. And that's sort of, that's just a disempowering message. It doesn't really show the situation's not hopeless. The situation in Sierra Leone, for those who have seen Blood Diamond, is not the place that it was in uh, when Blood Diamond took place. Uh, it's in a much better place. And many African countries have gotten out of serious problems and there are, there are solutions. So when the news media covers something just as a hopeless, terrible, look at this tragedy, it's a little disheartening because there's, there's things that people can do and they, they should be covering that as well. So I kind of have two things, like cover it more and when you cover it, make it more of an empowering thing rather than a disempowering thing. I'd like to do more of putting pressure on the news media just uh, to, to answer your question. Uh, you're, you're motivating me, a lot of these questions, actually. I feel like I need to get, get, do more, so. <laughs> Hi, um, I was wondering, um, you've talked a lot about sort of the online presence and the way that you've with people online. Have you also had a presence at conventions or are there any live meetings between your groups? When you say conventions, do you mean Harry Potter? Harry Potter conventions or? That's just started. Uh, Prophecy was the first example uh, the, uh, of, of a real presence. And now, now we're actually going to have a convention ourselves. And I think at each of the conventions now, my hope is that we'll have a real, a real presence. And we'll have t-shirts being handed out and ways that people can easily get involved with the organization and become members. When is that? 
oh, the, uh, the, the, the conference that we're going to throw? It's going to be in 2009. It takes a while to plan it, so, uh, so um, we'll, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, but, it's, but we're in the planning stages now. So. Actually, yes, it'll be in Boston, which is totally has nothing to do with me. Um, that was just decided uh, uh, a week and a half ago. I found out Melissa Whitman said it's going to be in Boston, so you won't need to go anywhere. Um, so I said, okay, great. Um, uh, yes? Great. <laughs> just, I just want to clarify some stuff. Um, the first thing I'd like you to clarify is whether you see um, putting pressure on mainstream news outlets as the mandate of the Harry Potter Alliance, like is that your main goal? Or I, I just would like some clarification on where you're going with that. And then the other question I had was, does um, your website actually provide information and news feeds about the situation in Darfur. I mean, you've mentioned statistics and things there, but I'm wondering how much of a source of information the actual alliance sees itself as. And so my last bit about this is, I've read the Harry Potter series, and like a good children's book, on some level it does come down to this really simplistic vision of good versus evil and good and triumph. But we all know that the situation in Sudan is this like super complicated historical context, ethnic, religious, state-sponsored, you know, militancy. There's lots of complicated shades of gray there, and I'm wondering how you're thinking through issues of young people being introduced to a situation like this, which is complicated, um, through the lens of something that does see the world in a slightly more simple way. All right, thank you. Next question. Oh, no. Uh, so, um, uh, okay, wow. Uh, let me start with the... I'll start with the first one. What was the first one again? It was um, just the clarification of how much of your vision is just to put pressure on news media outlets in which I can see that this could be an extremely effective tool, but whether that is your main mandate or if that's just what you've emphasized here, and that's not really what you yeah, well, well, one of the reasons why I mention it is because it, it, it shows that, that the, uh, the quote-unquote old media has done such a poor job of covering uh, what I would call real and important issues. And it sort of emphasizes the power of new media and fandoms to compensate for that. Um, so uh, my bringing it up, and, and I do believe we, we need to put more pressure on the old media to do more coverage and to do better and more empowering coverage. But my bringing it up is not specifically because that's what we need to do uh, to, to put pressure on them. It's more of, okay, they're not doing it, and we can. Uh, uh, do something about it. And so that's it's sort of a compensation kind of thing. The pressure we're putting on is the media, yes, but it's also um, government, uh, people in the, in the US government, and on businesses like Fidelity Bank. Um, uh, and the second question is how much. We so I was, the connection with that then is if you're saying that the news media is not providing the information and providing news coverage, what efforts are you making to get information out there? Cause I'm, I mean, obviously, you guys don't have a team of reporters in Sudan. Of course. Are you channeling information from different websites? Are you trying to, like, it, yes. like are you trying to compensate for the role that the mainstream media is not playing in any sort of news gathering way? Well, that, that creates an interesting question because the answer I'll give as to what we've done so far is we, we have written blogs about this. Uh, we have uh, had a podcast with John Prendergast on it and Joe Wilson on it who've given us a pretty detailed background on what's been going on. And I, and I, I go in on there and give background. And actually, a lot of the music rock bands get, get up there and they, they, I send them things to read to sort of, sort of give people background and information on what they can do. So yeah, we, we have been, and this is uh, important to note, I, I I look at this organization as an activist organization second and an educational organization first. That we're educating people and getting them involved and using Harry Potter as a gateway into getting involved with these various things. Um, but to, um, to 
uh, and, and to create a community that, 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 that cares and be part of that and you know, just get, getting people involved for the first time in activism. But uh, once again, to go back to this question, um, which I'm having a mental block on now, how did I lose track of your question because I talk too much, uh, is about, about the resources, the educational resources that we provide. Um, we also are in partnership with the Genocide Intervention Network and STAND. They already have so much educational resources out there, and Amnesty has so much, et cetera. We're pointing people to them as well. I, I wouldn't say that's us being lazy, that's just us sort of, I put it down, I break it down in Harry Potter terms, and then I connect it to the issue of why they should care, and then we connect them to those organizations and the pages, the web pages that they should look at, um, you know, et cetera. That, that brings us to your last question, which is, are we oversimplifying the situation in Sudan? And the situation in Sudan is very complicated, um, and, and there's a fragile alliance, well, fragile peace deal going on between the North and the South. The Janjaweed themselves, who are carrying out the genocide, are in strange, strained economic uh, situation, et cetera. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things going on. There are these rebel forces that exist, you know, in Duffer, but I got high. I, I turned off this ringer. I don't understand why it, um, it's not stopping. I'm going to just turn this off altogether. Um, so there's all of these, uh, excuse me. Um, sorry for that. Uh, there's all these complicated things about it, but, um, but the, the, the one thing to, over, to, to really simplify the question about Sudan, there is a very simplistic way of putting the situation in Sudan, and that is to, to kids, and to, and to anyone actually who's never been engaged in it. This is a genocide that we can stop. This is a genocide that can be stopped. Um, it, it can, and you're smiling at me like, like, that, like that's, that, that's not true. Um, but I, that, that's what I believe, and that's, that's, that's sort of the, the impression that I've been under after talking with people you know, from Amnesty, on the, on the Amnesty board, et cetera. And that's fine if you really try. I, I, uh, I, I, I look at this problem of, there is a problem um, it, uh, with oversimplifying something. And then there's also a problem with trying to lay out every nuance to a situation and in a culture that doesn't have time, it even has a president who actually literally said, I don't do nuance. Uh, he sort of stands for a whole culture that doesn't do nuance. And I want to be able to introduce people in a way that they can get, then get involved. And uh, if that takes, you know, hooking them in through popular culture and popular entertainment and, and slightly missing some nuances here and there, so be it. But if you read what we write, I think it's, it's trying to stay as true to those nuances as possible. Uh, and I, I, do, I do believe that, that the genocide in Darfur is, is something that, that, that can either stop or that can be brought down uh, many notches um, with enough pressure. Uh, and so uh, I also find that a lot of the news coverage that has existed around how it's a complicated conflict between rebel forces and, and, uh, and to the Janjaweed and the government are actually manipulated lies that have been orchestrated by the government of Sudan. Uh, those rebel forces are not, uh, I mean, that, that, that was sort of like a way to, like for instance, they, they outsourced the, gen the, the genocide to the Janjaweed and it made it look like it's playing some sort of mind game. Oh, this is centuries, centuries of conflict, etc. What's happening is a genocide. Um, and uh, while it's complicated, it's, it's, it's still a genocide, and there's stuff that the international community can do about it. But I'd love to have a dialogue and hear more from you as to how we can be more sensitive about these issues. Um, uh, though I would argue that Harry Potter, while it does see the world through in a very simplistic way you can look at, there also are nuances in Harry Potter as well. So thank you for the three questions. I hope I managed to answer them as adequately as possible. Um, I just wanted to throw in sort of in your defense to Huma's um, great questions, but I think one of the things I had a problem with Huma's perspective was just that I think what, what is so great about what you're doing is that it's 
I mean, you're you're hitting an activist point across a wide variety of issues. And I mean, as you said when you started out tonight, that you're choosing to focus on Darfur for the purposes of this lecture, but that you know you're you're covering a wide variety of, of perspectives. And I think um, it would be. I mean, I hope that in two years you're able to come back to Huma's questions and be able to like hit them like with really great stuff. But like, you know, I hope that you have the resources in two years to, to provide the media and to provide the content and that you can organize uh, you know group generated uh, you know media flow and everything to to have the the information there. But I think I mean for where you're at right now, just trying to hit so many different perspectives. I mean, you would you'd have to be like even busier than you said you were going to be a few minutes ago. So you know just. It's going to be a lot of work, and um, I'm just really glad to see you know what you're doing and everything. And, um, you know, you're you're getting people aware of the fact that they need to keep doing their own research and keep looking. So. Well, thank you very much. I'm and, glad that what you're doing. <laughs> and you can make a check out to the HP Alliance. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, but thank you, thank you, thank you for both your questions. Actually, I really appreciate it. Or comment, question. You kind of mentioned that. Um, if we had time, we would talk about what was next. So just to kind of piggyback off both <coughs> the last two questions, I would be really interested in mm -hmm. what your plans are for the immediate future. Sure. Uh, well, I have a lot of emails to get back to. Uh, that's like the very immediate future. Um, I'm going to keep putting out these MySpace bulletins, keep the infrastructure we already have in place, and not lose that infrastructure. Um, and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be, we'll be putting out more podcasts, uh, both on Darfur as well as many other issues. Um, and uh, so there's going to be podcast t uh, type stuff, and there's going to be um, uh, the, the MySpace and a Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, we're also going to need to start doing some serious fundraising so that, this, so that we can get to this next level. Well, the next level I'd like to be is, um, uh, just, to, just to give you one example, uh, one of the... Well, let's just say this kid, Matthew Vines, who helped uh, get Kansas to divest $35 million. He's interested in running a group within the HP Alliance specifically about uh, Darfur, specifically about Darfur. I have a good friend, Alex, in DC, who's a big Harry Potter fan. He's, he's in, his in his late 20s. He started an organization called DC Fights Back, which is about AIDS um, in DC, which has uh, per capita some more AIDS than, than uh, certain third world countries. And uh, he's worked with different AIDS organizations across the world. AIDS has been an issue we've worked on, um, raising awareness about that, et cetera, with Harry Potter evidence to, linking back to it, et cetera. Um, we'll start a group there. We already have a gay rights list. We don't have uh, an, an expert yet. And Harry Potter, the people in the field who are fighting the dark arts are uh, called Aurors, A-U-R-O-R-S. And uh, the school has professors. Well, essentially, what we want to do is take people in the field, seasoned activists who are Aurors, who can be trusted working with young people and are Harry Potter fans, and turn them into professors and basically create a cyber school for where we have the umbrella organization and then we have these specific schools that people can go to to be trained in specific topics. And really, and it's, is it Uma, by the way? It's, yeah. it's really actually, in the, for instance, in the Darfur list, really get into it and really work and really learn all of the details and understand that this is the opening to something much bigger. And they were still working in the spirit of Harry Potter and Albus Dumbledore and all these things by, and in Hermione certainly, by learning the details of this and, you know, studying it and, and really getting into it. And, yeah. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Well, I can just talk loud or whatever. Um, so, do you see... <laughs> <Speaking> to <here. laughs> um, so, do you see ultimately the Harry Potter Alliance being a portal <laughs> through which people can enter into various, like, activism on various different levels for various different issues um, and kind of as a way of connecting people with ways they can participate as an activist in a variety of different... Abs 
Absolutely, yeah. Starting that sort of portal and, and making it, uh, you know, basically, like I was saying, a cyber school for activists and artists. Uh, a dream would be if, you know, if we had $35 million to sort of create a school that was fun based off of Hogwarts. There'd be somewhere in the middle of nowhere that you have to get to by train or something like that. And um, it doesn't have to have, you know, moving pictures, although technology could allow that to exist now anyway. Um, but uh, the MIT run this thing. Um, but... Uh, you know, to exist in the real world would be nice, but having it as a cyber school is great too. You can't can't be picketed as easily um, that way. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, yes. In convergence culture, I tell the story of Muggles Against Censorship, which was an earlier attempt to create a political organization around Harry Potter. But what's strikingly different about the two, and I commented in the book, was that Muggles Against Censorship sort of demanded, in effect, you renounce the fantasy in order to participate in the activism. That it, the, the site that they produced, kids were writing in against censorship by saying that they didn't believe in Harry Potter, they didn't believe in Hogwarts, that they knew magic didn't exist, that people who were worried about them being deluded or you know, themselves didn't understand the fantasy. Your work, on the other hand, is mobilizing the fantasy. People can express their investment in the world of Hogwarts and being an aura and being a professor and these various metaphors you're using. So the fun of Harry Potter becomes part of the activism. There's not a schism mm -hmm. between the two in the way in which you've set this up. And I just wondered if you, how conscious you, you thought about the, 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 those two ideas about what's the relation between fandom and activism. I, um, I have to say that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead ignorance on them. I was just reading your chapter on, 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 on Harry Potter, actually. <laughs> but I, and I was just about to get to the Muggles Against Censorship. And then I had to get ready for this. I really, really mean it. Because I had read about the other organization, uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Like, that was what I was reading. And then I knew that the next one was going to be Muggles. I was like, okay, I'm about to get to that. I didn't have time. Um, so I was cramming in, in before I, I got here. Um, but uh, I, I thought a lot about uh, the importance of staying authentic to these books. And the fact that people are, people love these books. Uh, that's why we're all here. And we love, but in loving the books, I believe, for the most part, that there's an inherent love for humanity and bettering humanity and elevating the human condition. Because that's what these books essentially are pointing towards. So I think all we have to do is keep pointing back to the books again and again. Because it's what drew us in in the first place. Uh, I don't want to take that away. I'm actually having some, some sort of uh, emotional issues um, in, in, in doing it because I'm still mourning the, uh, the seventh book and figuring out where to go from here with it because I'm almost, I almost want to stop talking about Harry Potter for a little while and just, but I'm sort of, st I made myself stuck, didn't I? And now I'm like, I'm, I'm in a position where I have to keep talking about Harry Potter. Um, uh, and it's only to gain some space and, and, and get some closure from this book, um, from these seven books. Uh, but no, I, I, I'd say we've been really sensitive about uh, staying as true to those books as possible and using the textual evidence to point to things. And once again, that, that could create a situation once in a while where, uh, where we might not be giving the best analysis of a situation that we could. Uh, and I, I hope that we are, um, that we're doing it as best as we could. Did that answer your question? There's one more thing I'll say on this, and that is that, um, is that you know, a lot of people, uh, Joseph Campbell and, and, and Carl Jung, and a lot of folks in the 20th century, have, have written and talked about the power of story to change the world. Uh, Harry Potter has become a story that is so popular and has hit so many things, and it has created this fandom that is energized, that is mobilized, and that is wired on the internet. And it is ideal for mobilizing to transform the world, um, both on a psychological level, 
uh, when we're reading the books, but on a sociological level when we're working together. So I think fandom is one of the most incredible ways of tapping into political activism that a person could, could do, essentially. It's just an amazing uh, way of doing it. And interestingly, some people in fandom are, are seasoned activists. Some people in fandom, and the majority of which I'd say, have never stepped into, uh, into activism. Normally, uh, think of activism as charity. Like, oh, I'll give to this cause, I'll give to this cause. And my, my issue with that, I, I take actually some umbrage <laughs> uh, with that issue, um, uh, with, with looking at all activism as charity. Uh, because it's, like, it's, just, it's just going back again to, oh, my money can make a difference. And that's nice, but there, there are infrastructures set in place in, in a democracy where, where it's not just about putting money to, to do something. It's also, there's, there's, there's ways of doing political changes. And, and I want people to learn that and realize that so we can have, actins, we can have an active citizenry, not just active fandoms, but a, you know, a, a democracy that Thomas Jefferson could have been proud of. So, uh, yeah, so that's... More questions? Um, I was just curious how like portable you felt your approach was across cultures and technologies. Um, I mean, after I'd seen Hotel Rwanda, I was reading through like just all sorts of interviews, and I came across one that really struck me was with uh, Romeo Dallaire, the general who was in charge of um, the UN mission there. And people were asking. Who Nick Nolte played? Is that the guy? Or was was? It was a printed interview with. Oh, okay, Nick Nolte was a character in the movie. He was a UN person. I thought maybe that was the person that he was portraying, but maybe not. I. In, oh, no, no. Okay, okay. No. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was with, actually, Romeo Dallaire. Um, and so people were asking him, like, um, so what do we do now? Like, how do we restructure the world to, you know, you were the military commander. What needs to change in the military? What needs to change in politics to, you know, fix things? And his response was, like, what we need to do now is to take all of the young people that are being displaced and give them a means of creative self-expression. Like, that's the most important thing that needs to happen. And it's kind of struck everyone, like, what about military? What about politics? You no, know, we need creative self-expression for these kids. And I mean, I think it's really telling now that, you know, that's what he focused on. And that now in Darfur, 10 years later, um, Rwanda is the most active nation uh, per capita in terms of contributing troops and making a difference there as compared to anyone else in the world. Um, and so, you know, it's really telling about that approach. And it, it seems like what you've done is exactly what's needed, but for the U.S. culture and technology, you know, creating ways of giving kids like creative self-expression and teaching them how to, you know, use the technologies to express that. Um, do you feel like anything could be learned in terms of that would be portable to kind of all the people in refugee camps now in Sierra Leone and in Darfur, or is the technologies and their culture and their fiction just so different that? You know, you need such a just totally different approach. Um, well, I guess the immediate reaction reaction I have is like, well, the, the second re reaction I, I had was uh, was was asking, well, you mean there's definitely going to be some obstacles in a refugee camp around like using like things like MySpace and that kind of stuff. But the the first response is, oh my God, we have to I have we have to start thinking about this stuff. I'm really I really want to talk to you afterwards because you <laughs> asked the question about the China China thing. I would like to sort of see if we can use Harry Potter as a as a Trojan horse in China. Um, but the question I mean, obviously not MySpace and stuff, but certainly in Rwanda, um, you, you know, again Romeo Dallaire was saying like the primary would have been if there had been more access to radio and RTLM right. wasn't the only voice of uh, you know the culture you know none of that would have happened and you know he, he strongly feels about if we could find some way 
of giving more creative expression through radio in those cultures, um, you know, we'd be solving all of these problems in future. Can this approach uh, be translated, or is there something magical about Harry Potter, about the opportunities of the internet that, you know, just wouldn't necessarily translate into radio, into other cultures, other fictions? I, I think a big yes. I think yeah. I mean, every, all, all the things you just asked, I think the answer is yes. But I don't know how to do it. Uh, and, I, and if you have ideas, I'd like to start talking to you more about it. Because, or, or even open this up to start talking to everybody about it. Because that would be incredible. I think that would just be a absolutely amazing. And I think that, um, and, and we, we see it with, with this, the power of story with, with, with church, with churches a lot. You know, um, for better or for worse, uh, 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 you know, people take uh, religions and, they, and, and the stories in them and, and they, they do self-express a lot with those. And that's a, that, that normally is the, the main source that people go to for, for stories as of now. Uh, you know, they're not folk stories. Um, but these sort of new, new myths, uh, I think, have a, a tremendous amount to offer. Interestingly, the, the most popular book I've heard in Guantanamo Bay is Harry Potter. Um, so not only are these books for demonic, you know, are demonic, but they're for terrorists as well. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, of course. But, uh, but no, it definitely, it, it obviously is hitting on a universal thing um, that, that humans are looking for, is the power of these stories, Harry Potter and other stories, and self-expression and all these different ways of expressing oneself. How the work of the Harry Potter Alliance can be connected to uh, refugees would be beyond my wildest dreams, and that sounds incredible. I, I, if you have ideas, my, my email address is andrew at vhpalliance.org. Please write me there, uh, please. Uh, andrew at the, T-H-E, that's how you spell the, hpalliance.org. Um, so thank you for that question. I don't, if, you, if you have anything else you want to say as far as ideas, please. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, but maybe I'll save it for after. OK, all right. <laughs> Do we have um, any time to watch this second yes, flick? OK. Um, I'll just show one thing real fast. This was, uh, this was exciting. This was a, a group called Potterheads Unite, which did something for Hurricane Katrina. And it's just one example of a group that sort of spun out and started. Um, they, they saw the Harry Potter line. So we were doing it, and they wanted to use Harry Potter to, to raise something for Hurricane Katrina. I, I wasn't aware of them until I met them in New York City. Uh, at the Harry and the Potters concert, but here they are. And then I'll show the movie. This is real quick. Thank you. 
So that was nice. Um, and uh, here's, um, this is the second movie. Th this second Voldemort video was made specifically as a parody of uh, the Harry, Nepo Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix uh, preview uh, a trailer. So uh, it was almost taken word for word, but, but mixed around. But for those who didn't see this trailer, there's a scene where Harry's walking down the, next to the Hogwarts Express, and he sees Voldemort standing there, sort of sur sur surrealistically standing there in a suit. Just very odd, just sort of staring at him. It was almost like an apparition, but uh, here's our video. It's changing up there. There's a storm coming, Harry. Serious, I keep having these dreams. I destroy Hogwarts, but it's not me. It's Lord Voldemort, Harry. This is serious. I know. No, I mean it's very important. Right. That's why you said it was serious. Oh, I thought you thought I was saying my name. <laughs> no, because it sounds like the word serious. It is serious, serious. I know. We've got to act fast. Voldemort's trying to build a store at Hogwarts, and he's already bulldozed Hagrid's hut and turned the Quidditch pitch into a parking lot. <laughs> A Walmart at Hogwarts would destroy all the shops in Hogsmeade. The evidence is incontrovertible. It is not. You have been told that a Walmart at Hogwarts will be bad for students. This is a lie. It's not a lie. <laughs> the Ministry is paying Waldemars to build a store at Hogwarts and doesn't know the danger. But if Waldemars wants to destroy the magic of our school, then I want to fight. So, we're building some sort of wizard citizen group. It's naked. Why not us? Keep fighting it, Harry. You can win. I just heard that Baltimore treats his house elves unfairly. And he abuses them in his factories all over the world. He doesn't give health care to his employees, and he discriminates against giants and other minorities. And we aren't just fighting to protect the students at Hogwarts. We're fighting to protect every community threatened by Voldemort. We see here the Dark Lord approaches till he rises. You will lose everything, so I can gain it. And the rebellion. Attention, giants! Attention, motherboard! Attention, mermaids! And you! Are you ready to fight, Voldemort? It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Breaking the rules? Who are you and what have you done with Hermione Granger? <laughs> So
So um, one of the things with that we were trying to do was to, you know, if we thought if we're going to make a sequel, we've got to put more characters in, do more, make it more fast-paced, and have more talking points. So that was one of our attempts with that. I played Lord Voldemort, by the way, in case, uh, so you can't really see my, my, uh, my acting, but uh, yeah, it was really difficult to smile like that the whole time. Any, any more questions? Thank you all. If you guys want to be a part of, of the HP Alliance, once again, Andrew at the HPAlliance.org. I can actually put down a little sheet if you want to uh, fill out your names and email addresses, or you can just give them to me. Uh, that's fine. Uh, so uh, I love, I mean, here, I, I had not known about the Comparative Media Studies program until uh, right before the summer started, and I was just so excited by, by both, you know, what, what uh, Henry Jenkins has written and, and by the, the fact this program exists. I mean, I think that we're living in a new era and a new time, and what you guys are studying, not to say that I have too much authority on this, but is, uh, is, uh, is just really exciting. Uh, and it has the power to cha transform the world, and there's a lot of advertising execs that don't know what to do with all this money now that they can't guarantee that people are going to watch certain TV shows, et cetera, and just the power that, 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 that doing things online and with new media it's uh, what we can do with media right now is sort of unimaginable, uh, and what we could do to benefit the world is is unimaginable. This this is one way that we're doing it. So uh, I hope to talk to you guys in the future, and thank you very much for your time today. <laughs>